0: the traditional software in construction has been built to try to mold every single firm into doing the exact same thing What we've seen is you know the uniqueness of these firms in their marketplaces are how they do the work
1: hello innovators i'm todd wyatt and welcome to the bridging the gap podcast presented by applied software you're invited to join our mep and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward My guest today is Bob Armister, President and CEO of Spark Business Works. Bob was recently selected as a 40 Under 40 leader by the Grand Rapids Business Journal. Spark is recognized nationally for helping firms build and adopt technology solutions that result in practical innovation. Welcome to the show, Bob.
0: Thanks for having me, Todd. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I always like to start with how you got into the construction industry orbit to begin with.
0: Yeah, I know. And I've, you know, I've listened to some of, you know, a lot of your episodes and, and most people, you know, their, their journeys, like I was on a job site for all these years at a, at a high school or my dad brought me on as a kid. And yeah, I'm thinking, oh man, you know, the first time I was on a job site was uh, when a client brought me on there and had, I had to go find shoes to wear because I, uh, I didn't have any steel toe uh, boots. So uh, yeah, I mean, my journey in construction started later in my career. It was, it was a lot of software um, and technology. And then it wasn't until one of my clients, um, that that I was consulting with helping them. They said, Hey, you got to look at some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, got me on a job site. And then it was just like, wow, like, this is like, this stuff is impacting people on the daily, um, on their daily lives at work, helping them be safer. I mean, just that first job site tour really made me realize like the, impact in the the opportunity that's out there with technology in this industry and so yeah mine was when I when a client finally brought me on there and said here let's show you how this stuff's actually being used in the field and that was a that was a big um, big step there for me in, in the construction industry
1: nice I'm, I'm similar I don't have a background in construction before I, I came to apply software
0: yeah I remember because that the first time I was on that site the, the person that gave me the tour they they looked at me and they said you see what that guy's doing over there and they were all like you know, something was going on. And I'm like, I don't know. It looks fine to me. You know, it looks good. And I guess he was, you know, not tied off and he was, you know, three stories in the end, you know, they're like, it was, it was very interesting to see the stuff that they can see. And, uh, it's, it's amazing. So
1: nice. So I, I also hear that we have something else in, in common and that is that you have four young kids at home. I do. Yeah. So my fourth is, is actually on the way. All right. How was it going to four
0: for you? You're just as crazy as we were, (laughs) you know, after the second one, the fourth, it kind of just raises himself. So we have four boys. um, And I think we stopped using baby gates after the second. And, you know, once the third, you know, ran into everything, you know, the fourth, you know, basically the fourth just kind of follows the other three. So we don't really have to have to do much uh, from like the, there's no helicoptering like you were on maybe the first couple uh, so yeah, you'll be, you should be just fine. Um, yeah, four is wild, but at least now you're back to even numbers and, uh, you know, when you're riding roller coasters, everyone will have someone to sit next to. So
1: my, my second is a girl and then I have boys one and three, but my third born, he, he's a mess. He's, he's hysterical, but a mess. He thinks he's just as big as the oldest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The third, uh, our third is, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there'll be bruises that show up and we're like, that looks awful. When did that happen? And they are just like, I don't know. It's just like, what is going on? That's fun. (laughs) Just, just along for the ride. Yep. That's awesome. So, well,
1: let's dive into our topic and really want to start with the technology adoption piece. So how do you ensure a good healthy adoption when introducing a new tool or a new process?
0: Yeah, I mean, in, in construction, I mean, we, we speak about it a lot. I mean, it is, it is the most challenging environment. Well, maybe space is worse, but I mean, you have, right, in the winter, it's cold, it's, it's rainy, you have environments that are, are changing, uh, dusty, dirty, um, and then you have a user group that maybe isn't always the most technology savvy. Um, but are extremely good at what they do um, and can see technology as maybe a hindrance in certain cases. And so you have very difficult environment. You can have very difficult users in certain cases. Um, And, you know, here we are in a, in a business where we're trying to help these types of companies adopt technology. Um, And so, yeah, so we've, we've found lots of different things in uh, that help. Uh, The number one thing is if you look at maybe the stuff that's happening in Silicon Valley years ago, user centered design and and just things of that nature that that now to most people in technology may be five to ten years old, those are kind of the practical things that need adopted in construction being one of the, the laggard industries. Uh, so what we see is is the fundamental principle around user centered design, which is understanding how a user is going to use technology and what they need to do in their in their daily life. Um, and stakeholder alignment. So not sitting in a room in the back office or, and drafting up some new solution and then just throwing it on the field teams, but actually talking to the field teams, why aren't you using the current tool? Hey, what, what does work? You know, what does your day look like? That type of empathetic technology approach of understanding the user is what we see as probably the number one way to reduce the majority of the risk in a technology um, adoption in in construction.
1: Interesting. So maybe expand on that a bit and why and how should technology leaders think more like a software company, like what you were just talking about?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's it right now. I mean, when you look at, um, the, the traditional, um, you know the traditional software in construction has been built to try to mold every single firm into doing the exact same thing, almost like, uh, you know, like, uh, like a, you know, QuickBooks or something that would be like, oh, we're going to build this software once, and then every every mechanical contractor is going to be able to use this because it has all the core stuff there. What we've seen is, you know, the uniqueness of these firms um, in their marketplaces are how they do the work, um, and so a lot of that software can't just be deployed to any single MEP out there. Um, and so what we've seen um, is, you know, clients really taking a step back, looking at their business, looking at their users, um, what are they trying to accomplish, how they perform their work uh, and then trying to configure their business in, in, in doing so and, and using what tools are out there. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, We've seen mechanical contractors in the same region bidding on the same jobs, doing the same type of work, do completely different things when it comes to technology, uh, because it's how that company uh, operates. And that's, I think, what's really cool about, about construction. Yeah, so I think technology is so integrated in with
1: culture and how you use and leverage technology tells so much about a company's culture and the mindset that they have. What kind of mindset and probably even structure needs to be changed then to really be successful at embracing this think like a software company for construction firms?
0: Yeah, I think it's a feedback loop. Uh, you, know, what, you know, we have the advantage, you know, Spark was um, spun out of a, a large national CM firm. Um, and so we, we had the ability early on, um, CSM group, uh, is, is the firm and we had the ability to test things with them first, right. Which was, which was great. Um, and that it's really about that feedback loop and creating an environment where individuals feel open to share. Uh, and I mean, that does not exist everywhere, right. Um, you know, when, when you actually, sit down with individuals that are going to use a tool or be involved in how the company is going to change over time, those conversations don't happen as often as you think they would happen. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, there's a big disconnect a lot of times. Um, Construction is typically spread out across regions or states or counties. I mean, um, but making sure that feedback loop, whether it's in person or or what what it is, and then making sure people, even the people that might not want to speak up because they're afraid of sounding stupid, that's a real thing. Um, So creating a culture and environment that embraces that feedback I think is huge and it's not easy to do in construction. Create a common data environment for your team with
1: 360 Sync. 360 Sync automatically transfers, organize, and archives project files across applications It is the only way to automatically sync project files between your server, Procore, BIM 360, Bluebeam, or any other platform you use. 360 Sync is the only document management system designed by and for the AEC industry. Users have automatically transferred over 1 million files and over 2 million syncs. Set it and forget it. Create a common data environment for your team today using 360 Sync. Visit asti.com slash 360 Sync for more information. So kind of going down that line, what are ways to alleviate or at least minimize the risk of adoption to make people more comfortable and maybe less scared to act on something?
0: Yeah, we found getting individuals involved early on in the process. So really before you've selected maybe a solution, actually talking to people so they're engaged in the actual business side of it, right? You mean
1: you actually know the pain point beforehand?
0: I know, right? I mean, some of this stuff is kind of, kind of funny to talk about, but um, you know- But
1: it, it's amazing at how much it doesn't happen. Yeah.
0: Like, it, it seems like, why would we not, right? Let's use like a, let's use like a, a time entry example hey, a a team's going to change how they do time entry. You could go and pick out two or three solutions from using your HR team and your IT team and then present it to a group of your field employees and say, what do you think of these? Or maybe you get them involved at the front end when you say, hey, we're defining the challenges in the field with time entry. Will you help us define these challenges? And they might say, well, yeah, well, hey, this thing isn't working, this thing. All of a sudden, they're part of the solution. And all you did was get them engaged a little, little early on in the process. Right. I mean, it's just going back to, you know, we use, you know, empathy is a huge deal, right. Having empathy for that, that end user, understanding that what they're going to be doing and what their day looks like. And, you know, you'd be surprised at how um, less innovative a company needs to be to actually be innovative and get that stuff done. Um, because usually when you get, get those individuals involved early on, they're going to help you really solve that problem better than, then you could.
1: I think it's really easy to form an assumption about somebody else's problem. You're like, oh yeah, this is clearly what it is. But then when you talk to them and they're like, oh, we can only fix, you know, ABC. Like that's the easiest thing in the world to do. We can fix that tomorrow. Of course, you were trying to solve something so much more complex than what actually needed to be solved. And they're super excited to have, have, you know, just this easy solution going. Yeah. So don't overcomplicate it and and don't assume.
0: Oh man, we've seen the introduction of an automated email or an automated text message to remind somebody to do something. So a a very inexpensive solution has solved business problems that they were going to adopt, you know, six figure solutions to try to solve um, by just talking to the user and just figuring it out.
1: That's awesome. So I saw you wrote a recent blog article about the 80-20 rule and kind of breaking that down. How can you streamline the waste and inefficiency to hopefully fix that the 20% of the issues that are taking up 80% of your time?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about that a lot about, you know, what are the, uh, you know, what are what are those things on your list that if you do are going to be the domino effect, right? Um, and the same thing happens, uh, in technology for, for our clients. We see a lot, um, it, it goes back to also knowing what that, what that five-year plan is. I mean, the, the business side of things, um, I think is, is kind of that next piece, right? You got the user centered focus on, on solutions, but then the next piece is really the, the business side of it. Um, and what we've seen too often is, is people don't look out far enough. Um, and so, they're just really short term. Um, and then they end up having to just adjust, adjust, tweak, change. And then all of a sudden you just get bloat or you get, you know, a lot of technical debt. Um, and so understanding that, that long-term vision on, on what's happening in the needs of the organization today, and then also several years from then will help them, um, really kind of maybe hone down the feature set. Um, and then less is more, right? So the, the 80, 20 thing, um, is really most software that we see uh, and and solutions people are pretty overwhelmed with. Um, And so kind of dialing all that back and maybe not trying to adopt every single module in a solution from day one, like start small, um, you know, start with one module in a small team. Don't roll something out to the whole company at some, you know, cutover point um, where you're burning all the, all the boats behind you and you're stuck and you're, you know, like there's no, I mean, that's like the, the highest risk thing you could, you could do. Right. Um, and, and most of the failures seem to happen in, in those cases. Um, and I'm sure there's people listening and I'm speaking to the choir, right. But it's very tempting to just try to, Hey, we're going to do this thing. We're going to do it one time and let's try to make this thing huge. That increases costs. It increases timeline, increases risk. Um, but say, hey, we want one team to try this thing out and we're going to dial down the, the modules way down. So it's just, I mean, that's the process that, that we've seen works is starting small and then making changes as you're getting adoption um, because you never get it right the first time, right? So, so who
1: then should have a, a seat at the table in this implementation process to be able to have a, a really good cross-section of the company? and getting input, but, but not so big that you're talking about a death by a thousand voices.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's several different stakeholders. We can, I give them different personas. Um, you know, that, that person, the the one, my favorite one is that person that walks by like a a computer screen and the thing kind of flickers, right. That person like nothing ever works for, because that, that is the person that I want involved the whole time. Right. Um, you know, the person I remember doing my, my first time entry tool in construction, I thought it was like perfect. You know, I talked to the users, I showed them some screens. We were all, you know, I, I did my best at the time with, with the user-centered approach. And then uh, the moment I gave it to someone in the field, the guy looked at it and his finger is like three times the size of my finger, right? I got these little computer hands, right? I've been developing software. This guy looks at this phone screen. He's like, how am I going to hit that button? You know, look at my hand. Uh, And so it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, like that person that has all those challenges that that field typically, you know, it's it's an older field person um, is kind of what always seems to have technology problems. Get them involved from day one. They're going to find every single reason why this thing is not going to work. Right. And they're going to find it faster than anyone else. So get that person involved. And a lot of times you want to avoid those people in technology projects. Well, we don't want to we don't want to get Jim involved because. No, you do want you want that person involved from day one, because when you get them as a champion and you roll this thing out, they're going to be the one supporting it. Because everyone's going to look to them. And if Jim's like, you know, let's just use Jim as if Jim was the one helping craft the solution, he's not going to badmouth it when it gets deployed. Um, so that's one person that that you got to have involved. Um, you know, the the accounting sage. Um, I call him like a sage, but um, that that person that has been here for 30 years or been with the firm for so long, they've seen everything come and go. The person that's going to, hey, are you going to make sure it does this and this? So that historian, maybe we call him, um, getting that historian involved that you know may not want to be involved in any technology project, but has seen a lot, um, getting that person involved is key. You know, the ROI business person, you know, the person that could kill the deal at any moment, getting that person involved. Um, you know, there's several different personas, uh, that, that we kind of talk about a lot. Those are three of the the main ones. Um, you know, just picking out the, the leaders, uh, people that are going to look to them for, for, uh, you know, how, how do they respond to this kind of stuff? Um, you know, you got the younger tech enthusiast person that wants to digitize everything, you know, getting them and then getting the people that, that are resistant. So I think you get a, a good group, a good cross section there, um, get them involved in the solution stage up front and your odds of success are going to go way up.
1: The bridging the gap podcast is brought to you by applied software with solutions for the modern project. Applied software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC MEP and manufacturing has a singular focus helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, I totally agree. So you're kind of talking about that just now, but how do you share those kind of practical stories of technology success to encourage those who think, it might not be able to be done in construction.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's what we've seen work a lot. Um, You know, we work in a lot of uh, regional markets where we're, we're serving competitors. Um, And so being able to show other people's work that we've done or how other firms are doing things is a little more difficult in can, in construction, but we do have some firms that, that have given us permission. And, you know, there's been times where I've been at a, tech conference. Um, I remember one in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, ABC chapter held a tech conference. And the the group of employees came up to me. They were like in the front row. Like they were so engaged. I was like, wow, like this never happens. Right. They were like almost answering my, you know, finishing my sentences. And they came up to me afterwards and they said, we've seen you speak about this twice. So two years in a row. And this time we brought our CFO so they could actually see it. And they're now a customer of ours. But They had no idea about some of the technology solutions in construction, like some of the possibilities, like Jesus had no idea, right? There's not a huge, um, you know, this is, it's just an interesting industry. Um, And so being able to share this stuff through podcasts like this, um, you know, conferences, there's just not enough of them. But, um, you know, that's, that's one thing that I'm passionate about is spreading the word um, because once some of these firms see it, they're just like, wow, right? This is this is amazing. Um, and it's usually through clients sharing it. We've done webinars, we've done presentations with clients, and when they share their story, um, then that's when other people see it, they go, oh, wow, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not alone in this, because there's a lot of pressure in that industry to change. But I don't think a lot of people know about all the different options. Um, and so they're kind of just in this weird zone. And so uh, that's how it's the word spreading right now. But uh, it does, like I said, they saw me for years speaking about it before they, they made a, a change, but um, just getting people like getting shows like this, getting people plugged in, I think is key. All four people
1: sharing their stories and making it kind of that organic level. Even if it's, it's so easy for me, at least to, to get in, side this this little bubble, you know, I, I talk about tech adoption and implementation all the time. So I it's easy for me to think that, you know, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, I'm talking about all the time, <laughs> but it, it's not. There's still so many people that are overwhelmed by the options that don't know all the options or, or maybe need to be educated on that. And so I, I think that the more people out there spreading the word, the better.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah, it is. It is not like you know, I, I was in startups and, and Silicon Valley type stuff, you know, 10 years ago, right? And there's thousands and thousands of books and articles and, and blogs and podcasts. And I mean, there's just, you compare that type of industry and, and that kind of thing to the construction technology. And, and there is, I mean, it's going to be great to watch because it's all, it's going to eventually get built up and, and, uh, it's pretty cool. I think it's got, I think the industry, um, has a, you know the, their perception of not wanting to change is not accurate, um, and so them just getting exposed to more of the solutions is pretty cool. I agree. You know, there's some of the best
1: creative problem solvers, bar none, of any industry right here in construction. Yeah. And they don't claim that mantle as much as what they should, and and maybe even recognize it for themselves,
0: even though it's true. I mean. That's what they do every day on a job site. Yeah. Like I was talking to one, one of our clients today and they're, they're building like a giant building and I'm just like totally amazed. Like, and they're like, yeah, did you know, like the footings could only go halfway down as far as they could. I'm like, wow, like that's gotta be a big deal. Like, how do you solve that? Oh, wow. Well, here's, you know, I got this whole thing where it's like if I would have had that problem running that building, i be like, oh, can't build it. Sorry. Couldn't do that deep. Couldn't do that deep enough. Sorry. And it's like, no, they found a way. I mean, so, yeah, you're right. The, the way they solve problems, um, you know, and that's why I try to remind some of our younger technology team members that are typically they've been maybe the smartest people in the room most of their life. Getting them to empath- empathize with the end user and say, look, you know, these people might not be super tech savvy. But uh, they solve just as challenging problems as you do. You got to really understand what they're trying to do. Um, and that's pretty cool to see when, uh, when you can admire someone else's work in, um, in a different industry.
1: Absolutely. Love that. Uh, what's something that you think is going to really help shape and then define the construction industry this year?
0: I think the lack of labor is going to be, it's going to force some adoption um it's gonna really probably push um it's gonna push things i mean you know i was just on a call earlier today where you know some of these regional hubs like austin raleigh durham nashville i mean they're talking about these huge plants right and you hear about the size and the scope like what tesla's doing and samsung's doing it's like they're building all these chip plants like who's gonna build all that i mean i know they want to spend 40 billion on that building, but everyone's already busy, like, like who's going to build it, right? So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see the innovations. And I think because of that constraint, it's going to force companies to try new things, right? So it's going to be, it's going to be a really cool, innovative next few years. Um, You know, and and I think that the the labor shortage and then the, the amount of onshoring, That's going to create an environment for a ton of uh, innovation. I think that's going to be pretty cool.
1: I agree. It's a it's an innovation laboratory right now in construction. So it's it's a super exciting time to be in the industry.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there has been times, but I mean, this kind of industry with this type of technology and these kind of funds. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of like a once in a lifetime moment. If
1: innovation is going to be one of the main themes impacting the year, what's well, not going to change with technology for the next couple of years? And, and then maybe what's something younger tech professionals are missing?
0: Man, that's a good one. I think the business side of technology um, is not going to change. Uh, you know, when I uh, speak to a lot, of, you know, I'll, I'll talk to a lot of people's um, kids or you know, maybe they're graduating high school hey what should we do should I be a programmer should I go into business what you know what should I do I always tell them like if, if you know if they're if they're really excited about technology understand the business side of it right because um, the one thing that's really cool about the construction industry that I like is that you know they don't just waste money <laughs> on anything right like their whole industry is about reducing waste right so Um, you know, so a lot of the the projects we talk about, like there is a ROI built into that, right? Like you're not going to invest most of these firms, obviously there's firms that have R and D budgets and they're trying different things, but the, the privately held, you know, middle market firms are not just blowing money on stuff, right? There's a business side of it. And so understanding that, Hey, we're not trying to do something fancy, Uh, This has to work and here's how we're going to track whether it works is key. And I think that's one thing that won't change, right? Um, Is the business side of technology uh, in construction, at least. Uh, They are not going to just waste money without an ROI or a path to one. So I think that's one thing that we know um, that I feel is not going to change, which is good. I love that piece.
1: That's a good piece. Something to set a firm, solid foundation on to think through with tech?
0: Yeah. I mean, you can see a lot of, uh, a lot of construction technology startups that, that I've, I've spoken to or or been on the other side of a sales call with Um, you can tell the ones that are backed by maybe VC funds that don't really know the industry because they're outrageously priced with no clear ROI and they're And so it's just, it's kind of, I mean, you almost feel bad for them because I'm like, good luck. You're never going to find a middle market construction firm that's going to spend $100,000 a year on on that because you can't, you can't communicate how that's going to save them or help them make more than a hundred. And so that's, I mean, it's, it's pretty apparent, Um, but there's uh, the ones that are, are pricing it right and they're, they're focusing on the business side and the ROI. They're, they're having a lot of success. So behind you, you have a big sign that says "Make it Matter." Yeah, what's
1: the story there?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually in, uh, you know, so CSM Group. That's that's the construction firm that that we um, were were a part of, and uh, you know, I'm at their their headquarters in Kalamazoo. We just had a big meeting, um, and yeah, so each of each of their uh, breakout rooms, you know, has some stuff on the wall, uh, whether it's about safety or, or leadership. Um, we have one that says "Always be available." you know, client centered, um, you know, make it matter. You know, one of the, you know, core values we we try to look for is people that just love what love what you do, right? Um and have fun. And that comes across to clients. And so yeah, just having having stuff on the wall to remind you what you're doing here. I mean, especially in, in today's marketplace, you know, talent can can go anywhere. Um and everyone has a choice. And so trying to make it a fun environment and, and know that you're making a difference every day, I think is, is key. So we, we have some nice stuff on the wall to remind people of that. I love stuff to help center everybody back into the meaning and,
1: and the purpose. That's great. Definitely. So h- how do people find out more information and, and connect with you?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, sparkbusinessworks.com uh, is our, is our website. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn um, and, yeah, we publish a lot. We speak a lot. Um, you know, we, we look up to podcasts like this uh, and we're, we're excited to be on them and continuing to spread the word about uh, the innovation and, and what's possible in construction technology uh, to the ones that I think need it the most. So. Nice. Well, Bob, last
1: question for you. What does innovation mean to you?
0: Yeah. In, innovation. Wow. What does it mean to me? Um, I think it's that, that ever, you know, if you're not growing, uh, you're shrinking. Um, you know, if if you're not evolving, um, you know, you're you're going to be crushed over time. Um, so I, th- I think innovation. I like to focus on practical innovation. Um, you know, the the back of the napkin ROI innovation. Um, I think it's it's just steady progress, and I think team members look for that. You know, no one wants to be at a firm that that doesn't change. We've all probably worked at one of those, and everyone complains about that. Um, so I think innovation is just constantly looking forward into the future and, and making decisions on, on the tools and people that help, help you get there
1: about companies that don't change, but then change too drastically. And you're going to get some people bristling there as well too. Yeah. So I think it's really important to, to kind of find that line and, and maybe push the envelope a little bit, but where people are ready to go with you as well.
0: That is a. That is a steady balance because I've been, on, I've been way too far over that line saying, why isn't anyone else coming over with me? Come on, guys. Don't you want to go over here? Oh, no. Okay. I maybe push something a little too far. So yeah, it's—you uh, know, getting everyone on board is, is key. So um, appreciate what you do in the marketplace. Appreciate uh, the podcast, uh, the invite as well. And uh, looking forward to seeing what happens in this industry and excited to be a part of it.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining the show and, and taking the time, Bob. Thanks, Todd. Take care. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, when starting to implement new technology, it's important to start with user-centered design. Think through how people are actually going to use and leverage the technology. What needs to change in their workflow and how are you going to streamline that process? Second take, challenge your assumptions by taking time to sit down with the people that are experiencing the pain points. By getting them involved early in the process, you are helping to ensure you are on the right track that will actually and practically address the issue at hand. And final take, Bob brought up the different personas that should be involved in the implementation process. Think through which personas and stakeholders need to be involved and recruit them to join the team. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at ASDI.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyatt, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyatt, edited, and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.